0: Mbohisa is ours. Mbohisa is 1976. Moisa sacrificed his life
1: for 1976. Let's just pray what he is still alive.
2: Do you think that Boisa Makubo is a hero? Yes, I do. Where do you think he is? Do you
1: know? So the police were looking for Boisa Mbohisa got this information. He ran away from home.
3: And when he got to Nigeria, he disappeared.
1: Mbuisa was just an concerned student to help the dying boy, Hector Kudusa.
2: This is Through the Cracks, the untold story of Mbuisa Makubu. I'm Mandy Wiener. You probably don't know who Mbuisa is. You may have never even heard his name before. Or you're wondering why we're even telling the story. But you've almost certainly seen him before in a grainy black and white photo that's come to define one of South Africa's darkest moments in history. When you think of June 16 and the Soweto uprising, what do you see? A crowd of children in black pinafores and white shirts marching and singing? Posters with the words Afrikaans must be abolished" scrawled on them? Apartheid-era police officers firing at the back of a police van? But the truly iconic image of that day in 1976. The one that fills the screen when you do a Google image search. It's a sharply focused, tightly framed photograph of a tall, lanky man in dungarees. His mouth downturned in anguish, carrying in his arms the limp body of a boy in school uniform. One shoe's missing, blood runs from the corner of his mouth, his eyes are rolled back into his head. Alongside them, there's a teenage girl, hysterical, her right hand held up, the fingers are spread out in terror. It's such a powerful image that tells the story of the 1976 generation. Almost everyone knows the name of that limp boy, 12-year-old Hector Peterson, who was one of the first people to be shot in the Soweto uprising. Not the first. Although many do think that he was. Hastings and Lovell was the first. You might even know the name of that teenage girl in that photo. That's Antoinette Sitole, Hector's sister. But how many of you had ever even heard the name of the tall boy in dungarees carrying Hector before you started listening to this podcast? Do you know who Mboyisa Makubu is?
3: No, I don't.
2: Do you have any idea?
3: No, I don't. He's a politician.
2: Do you know who Mbuyisa Makubu is? Unfortunately, no. I don't. Do you know who Mbuyisa Makubu is? Mbuyisa Makubu? No. Am I supposed to know who that is? Do you know who Mbuyisa Makubu is? Mm-mm. No, I don't know who that person is. At the Hector Peterson Museum in Orlando West in Soweto, the site of the riots, people are learning about Mbuyisa. The museum is surprisingly busy. There are groups of school children on tours. There are loads of tourists. One guy is wearing cowboy boots and a leather jacket. There are moon bags on show, and cameras. On the streets outside, traders have their knick-knacks laid out for sale. A group of kids is being showed around by a tour guide. They're standing in front of an enlarged framed poster of that infamous image of Hector Peterson. Do you know who Mbuisa Makubu is? Yes. Who's
4: he? He's the man that carried Hector Peterson to the hospital. Ah, okay.
2: And did you know who Mboyusa Makubu was before you came to the museum today?
5: No, I didn't know.
2: Okay. Yes. And do you guys know what happened to Mboyisa Makubu? Where is he today? Do you know? No, we don't know. We only know that he ran away to Botswana, to Nigeria. From Botswana to Nigeria. And, and do you think that Mboyisa Makubu is a hero?
4: Yes,
5: I do.
2: And you? Do you think so? Yes, I do. For the last year, I've been trying to find out what happened to Mbuyusa Makubu and why his name has been forgotten. In the months after June 16, he went into exile in Botswana and then went on to Nigeria, where he studied at a college. He became sick, all kinds of sick. He was mentally unwell and suffered repeatedly from malaria and from cholera. He left school, spent his time getting stoned at a commune, and in 1979, he vanished never to be heard from again. And that's where the trail goes cold and Mbuyisa is forgotten by the generations that followed. Outside the museum, I met this guy, Poloko. He's a tour guide.
3: Say name Soweto. <laughs> so my say name is Ntako. Ntako. Yes. Uh, I'm saying Soweto because when you Google Poloko Soweto, you get more information about <laughs> it, about Indians.
2: He's made it his mission to make sure that visitors, locals and foreigners learn the story of Mboyisa and the other characters from June 16.
3: This is one of the famous photographs in the world. The photograph, it was taken by Sam Nzema. He was working for the world newspaper. And the World Newspaper, it was declared an illegal newspaper. It has to close its doors. Simon Zema, he became, he was harassed by the police. He decided to quit his job as a photographer from that time until today. He's now 83 years. He's living in his hometown in Pumalanga, Bushback Ridge. The lady on the famous photograph, uh, her name is Antonette Setole. She's Hector Peterson's sister. As you know, she's still alive. She still looks the same. And she used to work inside the museum. She took retirement on the 15th of December, 2014. And Mbwesoma Kubo, the gentleman carrying Hector Peterson, he became one of the most wanted boys here in Soweto. He fled the country. He went to Botswana. He got scholarship to go and study in Nigeria. And when he got to Nigeria, he disappeared until now, until today. We are still asking if Mbuisa Makubo is alive or not.
2: On this large grey granite stone that's fitted into the ground in the courtyard outside the museum, there's a tribute to Mbuyisa. The school children have gathered around it. Poloko is explaining that on the stone there's a quote from Mbuyisa's mother from when she testified at an official inquiry into the violence.
3: And his mother, she passed away in 2006. She died of heart attack. She was still hoping to see him, telling people he might one day show up. She used to sell books at the craft market. And when the museum was opened in 2002, she was approached to comment about his disappearance. The message on the stone is from Bueswa Makubo's mother, commenting by saying, Bueswa is or was my son. In our culture, picking up Hector Peterson was not an act of heroism. It was his job as a platter if he had left him on the ground, jumped over his body and somebody saw him, he was not going to live here in Soweto.
2: In that one moment on a sunny winter's day in June 1976, that one act by Mbuyisa of picking up a dying Hector Peterson would change his life forever. Some would say he merely did what was expected of him. Others would call it the act of a hero. So, let's go back to the beginning. Forty long years ago.
5: Memories. (laughs) Memories. (laughs) Memories and time. Fuzzy, grey memories.
2: <laughs> That's Murphy Murobe. He's a veteran of the anti-apartheid struggle. In 1976, he was active in politics and one of the teenage leaders of the June 16 student march.
5: Well, I'll, I'll be lying if I were to say to you that we, we plotted Great Revolution, you know. It was basically the simple fact that there was bond education, which in fact uh, cost. Us to be subjected to Afrikaans as a medium of instruction, and we understood that, uh, in fact, one of the our struggle adages at the time was that uh, oppression of minorities of groups is always exacerbated by the oppressors taking one of the things they want to do is to impose their own language on an oppressed people, and for us. We felt that is something that we had to react against.
2: The central burning issue for the students was the apartheid government's insistence that Afrikaans be used as a medium of instruction. Seth Mazubuko was just 16 years old in 1976, the youngest of the student leaders by far. He was probably also the shortest. He's tiny and gutsy. Seth was the 2IC to Tietzi Mashanini, the leader of the Soweto student uprising. I
0: always claim Mm. the right of speaking about June 16 because Tzietz is no more, so I take over.
2: Mm. (laughs) As Seth recalls, June 16 wasn't an isolated event.
0: Because 76 was just a culmination of um, all the other activities that happened before it. Uh, There were schools that went into boycott against Africans as a medium of instruction. Before June 16, actually, June 16 was actually other schools supporting those schools who were already two months, some of
5: them out of classrooms, actually boycotting classes.
2: The plan for the actual march was a fairly simple one.
5: June 16, the plan was was not very complicated. There was an issue which was about Africans and there was our opposition to it. And June 16 was about the rest of us pledging solidarity with those students who were affected. And it was to be a march on the day with our placards, and then from there we'll wait to see how the authorities responded. There was nothing more complicated to it than that.
2: That morning, June 16, the students woke up and the sun was shining.
5: As winter days go, it was actually a beautiful Wednesday, winter's day, and sunny.
2: They each gathered at their respective schools and prepared to march. 18-year-old Mbuyisa Makubu, a student at Orlando West Secondary School, didn't plan on marching. He stayed at home at his grandmother's house and cleaned the garden. Meanwhile, Murphy explains what the plan was for that day.
5: The, the, the plan was to have the, the core high schools in the different uh, uh, cardinal points of Soweto, Naledia High from the far west, Sikon from the south, Uh, Maurice Isaacson from Central to Meadowlands High from the north, and uh, Madibane High from from the east. In fact, leading marches to Convert on Orlando West Junior Secondary School, which was chosen because it was one of the secondary schools that had been longest on boycott at the time. So uh, we then woke up early in the morning, went to our respective schools, took every principal by surprise and as we then started singing struggle songs and marched out of our schools leading columns of students and collecting other secondary schools on the way as we all converged towards Holland West secondary school
2: there was never an expectation of violence from any of the student leaders the the worst they really expected was dogs and batons the
0: underlying principle of that march it was going to be peaceful.
4: Mm. That,
0: that's, we knew that that's what we wanted to achieve, even if they were going to you know, come heavily on us. I mean, we never measured the magnitude of the attack on us mm. as big as having, having to kill children. But we measured it that they'll give us a whip, you know. They'll give us patents. But it became, you know, something that you do to your child when it, you know, slap on your child when he does something wrong because these are fathers and mothers that are taking us.
2: Sam and Zima was a photographer. He was sent to cover the march by his editor at the World Newspaper. He could sense that trouble was brewing in Soweto.
1: Well, I was a journalist for the World Newspaper. So on the 15th of June... As you know, before the following day, we used to have what we called a press conference with our editor. So the editor, the late Pacey Corbosa, is the one who, in the, who gave me the assignment in the com- press conference where we, were, where we were on the 15th. So it was an afternoon of June 6- 15th when he told me that, uh, Sam, your assignment with Sophie Tima, you are going to cover the match which is going to start at Tenor Lady High School on the June 16th in the morning. So be early, six o'clock they're going to start.
2: On the morning of the sixteenth, Sam was ready. He was armed with his cameras and rolls of film. Although he never expected to capture one of the defining images of the apartheid era.
1: So indeed the following day the press car came and picked me up at my place at Shawara, where I used to stay. So we'll proceed to Naledi High School Sophie Team. On our arrival I found that the students were busy preparing the placards written on the Africans. For instance, that picture there shows that uh, Africans must be abolished. It, the march was about to stop Africans as a medium of instructions. Not to stop the language, but as a medium of instructions at schools.
2: As the students began to march, Sam followed them.
1: The march from Naledi High School, went to fetch some students at uh, Skanantwana High School. Uh, Skanantwana, then they went to um, Ngungungyana High School. They went to uh, Morris Isaacson's, where Tsietzima Machinini was. So when they marched down to, to Mofolo Park, and in Mofolo Park they gathered there. Tsietzima Machinini clamped on top of the tree. He addressed the student and he said, this is a peaceful march. Don't destroy anything. The march we are aiming to go to Orlando Stadium, where we are going to sit down there and prepare a memorandum. From there, we are going to take the memorandum to the Department of Education. At that time, the Department of Education was at um, uh, Faraday Station.
2: There were columns of young activists from different schools across Soweto descending on Orlando West.
5: When, when we go to Orlando West High School, just in, in Villagazza in Street... Uh, whilst we were there a, a convoy of police vans actually came but they came on the other side on the, on the western side of, of Villagazi Street and stood right at the top when we, right, we were standing at the bottom next to the high schools all under West High outside the gate at the intersection of Villa Grazi. In the road that's leading towards the Hector Peterson Museum, and um, I mean a, a big march. Police, the temperature just started to increase considerably. Um, we were singing, and uh, and the police then came, got out of their vans, and stood in formation. They were marching coming to London West,
0: and we were. We had agreed that we're going to move on certain positions as the leaders so that we can be conspicuous. As they were marching, uh, coming down, behind them, they were followed by a, conv- a heavy convoy of, of, the po- of police cars. And as they were coming that way, Tziyatzi and I and Smongile, because they were marching that way, they moved into the right I moved into the left coming up with a student from around the so that we can see each other. You go out of the group. These guys started throwing, the police, started throwing tear gas canisters. And then um, we had to quickly think, what are we doing now, because these guys are doing that. And as they were throwing tear gas canisters, yes, yes, as they were throwing tear gas canisters, they, they, they decided, oh, the cause of Africa were with us. You know what? The fumes and the whole fumes that were blowing back to them. So they were so they were affected by TKS more than we were. I mean, as they were busy with us, there was another group, the Naledi group. Now they were thinking that we're sandwiching them. And we were not sandwiching. We didn't even plan that. Because those students were also coming to Orlando West. So they were paying attention on these students that are already in Orlando West. And whilst there are others that are coming... From behind, so they started sandwiching them.
1: There comes a young man running from Orlando East, east direction. Then he said, Hey, Machita, I'm a When we look at the side of Orlando East, we saw the convoy of the police coming down. I knew that uh, now trouble is here. Now.
2: As unprepared as the students were, so too were the cops. They'd been caught off guard and immediately panicked. They
0: decided to release dogs, police dogs. They released dogs onto us. And the students, without any form of weapon and everything, took stones. And uh, there were, I think there was one or two that had a knife, you know. They killed the dog. Uh, one of the dogs killed two dogs were killed right on the spot.
5: The unfortunate thing happened was that one of the police dogs was then let loose or either it got loose or it was deliberately let loose to charge at the, at the students and that police dog did not emerge out of the crowd when it actually charged at the crowd and then the student then charged at the police. But at the time the police then became totally surrounded because other students were coming from behind which basically attached to the fact that they really hadn't had a plan about how to deal with the situation on the day. They did not have any shields. All they had were batons and guns.
2: Sam remembers that it was at this point that all hell broke loose.
1: A, a, a white guy was in charge of the police. He approached the students. The students gathered together and uh, faced the police. They didn't just looked at the police. He pulled out his, his stick from his armpit and he pointed to the students. Which means, that the, what are you doing here, little one here? I'm giving you three minutes. You must disperse. So the students started to sing Kosi Sigelela, Africa. A song which was banned in South Africa. Now when they banned ANC and the PAC, all these political parties, the song Kosi Sigelela, Africa was Africa was also banned in South Africa, was not allowed to be sung by anybody. They started singing Kosi Sigelela, Africa. He pulled out his gun and they shot directly the crowd of the students. And he said, Skit! He ordered the police to shoot. So the head was loose. police were just shooting at random. So I saw a little boy fell down, I approached him there, then Buiso um, Makobo, which I did not know him, I saw a tall student Picked up that little boy fell there and he rushed him out from the crowd. And I was busy taking the pictures. So he was trying to get the nearest car to take him to the doctor or any clinic. The only nearest car which was there was our press car, a beetle, a Frozewaffen. And indeed, Sofitima Tima helped from Buitsumakobo to take Hector Pe- Peter sent the back seat of the car.
2: The 12-year-old was rushed to the clinic and declared dead. Another young life, lost to the struggle. Antoinette Sitole was 17 in 1976. Today, she's 57 and a tour guide, showing people around the sites where her brother was killed. She's easily recognizable. When I first meet her outside the museum that bears her brother's name, I can see her face staring out at me from that photo.
6: Okay, my name is Antoinette Sitole. And my name
2: came from my grandmother. I love it to beat. She walks with me down a buzzing and vibrant Moema Street as she revisits her own memories of June 16. She stops to greet an old lady who also recognizes her. They speak about what happened on the street 40 years ago. Schools have just closed for the day and kids in uniform are lingering on the pavements listening to us talk. It's it's quite surreal. And actually
6: the street where we are, that's where actually my brother was shot. The house behind me, uh, it's a face brick house. Actually, uh, my brother was shot here, even though I was a little bit further, but I could see everything.
2: It's a bit of a rehearsed speech, not much emotion. She reckons she's probably told the story literally hundreds of times.
6: Actually, uh, the very two uh, pavements, students were all over pavements, you know. Uh, very excited to be here in this historical area. So, while waiting, all of a sudden there was a shot. You know, can you imagine what happened? You know, we all ran amok in confusion, running for cover, dashing into other people's homes. It was so scary and confusing. So, we just play around, you know, like when we had a shot, we'll go into hiding, and when it's come, we'd emerge back to the pavement. So, during that hide and seek, I spotted my younger brother on the opposite side of the pavement. Well, to me, it was like, is it really him? Mm. So I decided that I will use his cultural name to call him to see if really it was him. So his name was Zolile, and Zolile means calmness. So I called out his name. He quickly looked around. You could see that he heard that somebody called out his name. So when he looked from where I was, I just waved, and he came closer smiling. And as a big sister, I had to make my voice a little bit hard so that he could listen, you know how boys are like. And then he just smiled at me. Hey, there's nothing to smile about. It really looks like things are getting out of hand. I'll make sure we get home, we'll be okay. Well, I was just saying that because I'm a big sister. But while talking to him, there was another shot, so we had to go back into hiding. Unfortunately, we went two separate ways.
2: Antoinette was anxious to find out where Hector was. She saw a commotion down the road, but decided to sit tight in case her brother came to look for her. It was then that she spotted someone running towards the action. Mbui Simakubu had heard the shots from his house and sprinted towards the chaos. Well, I just saw a man coming from
6: nowhere. That wouldn't be possible because students were all over the pavement, you know. I could see that man running towards me. He passed me. My eyes followed him. And actually was focusing at that crowd that were gathered. So when you got there, you could see that he was uh, making way, pushing them, you know. And all of a sudden, he was like struggling or trying to get something from these other student hands. As he lifted, yes, I could see the body frame. As he lifted for the second time, the first thing that I spotted, it was my brother's shoes. You know, I tried running to them. Already they were on their way running towards me and I followed them and as we were running I was trying to explain myself to this man Who are you? This is my brother I've been looking for him Where are you taking him? The man never said anything just kept on running Then I looked at my brother I saw blood coming from the side of the mouth You know, I panicked Who are you? Can't you see his hurt? Where are you taking him? He never said anything And all of a sudden A car just stopped in front of us, and one lady jumped out of the car, introduced herself as a journalist, and said, she can help us. So as that man was about to put my brother in the car, he said, oh, he's dead. Hearing that, I was sort of like torn into two. I could see myself on the other end, crying in desperation. To me, it was like, this is not real. It can't be happening.
2: As Mboisa was loading Hector into journalist Sophie Temer's Volkswagen Beetle, Sam and Zima was snapping away. Antoinette has no recollection of that iconic photo being captured. It was the first and last time she would ever see Mboisa. Mboisa
6: is a hero because can you imagine if students were there with my brother and he came to rescue. He thought it's best if we take the injured to the clinic. So for me it's a hero. You know, can you imagine how many students were there around uh, my brother? But he just thought, especially if we don't stay, just take action. So for me, besides the hero.
2: When the news reached the students that Hector Peterson was dead, they began to retaliate. Sam was there with his camera, capturing it all on film.
1: It was That was a peaceful march, nothing else. But after a report that... Uh, Hector Peterson is dead. They picked up the stone and the retaliating, hitting the police. When they were battling there, police were shooting, the students were hitting the stones. Uh, I did not understand what happened there. The poli- all the police ran into the Gumba Gumba, the big truck which carrying the prison. They all got in there. All the police got into their vehicles. I suspect that they were running out of ammunition. They got into their vehicles. They drove off. Unfortunately, one policeman, white policeman, remained behind. When he got into his van, they smashed all the windows of his van. Mm-hmm. He lost the control, and he collided with the electrical pole. He stopped there. The student went for him, and they pulled him out. They cut his throat. So I went there taking pictures. But before I went there, I knew that this, I'm going to lose this picture of Hector Petersen. I wound the film and I stuck it my sock, and I put another film. When they're killing this white policeman, I was busy taking the pictures. Some police were pounced on me, I don't know where they came from. They hold on me, they stopped me, they ordered me to, to hand all the, my cameras to them. And I did, I did that. They opened my camera, they exposed all the films that I was taking the pictures of that man. From there, Soweto was on fire. Rioting was, was all over Soweto now. Power, power, power. Roads were blocked. Uh, uh, the whole day, the whole evening, the night, Soweto uprising was on and on and on.
2: By that afternoon, his pictures were plastered on the front page of the newspapers. And that iconic image of Mbuisa, Hector and Antoinette was making its way around the world. The
1: picture was taken about 10 a.m. in the morning. By three o'clock, there was an extra late of the world newspaper carrying this picture. And Mbuisa was uh, exposed on that picture carrying Hector Peterson.
2: That picture came to embody the emotion of the day. It reflects the total disparity in power between children in uniform and the armed police who were shooting and killing them. In the days that followed, the violence spread across the country. An estimated 500 people would die.
5: The Stating Soweto riots and their aftermath have shocked South Africans, black and white, into hard recognition of their country's complex race relations. In and around the townships and shanty towns, pupil power, black power and rampant hooliganism have exploded into a bloody conflagration which has so far left over a hundred dead and which will cost the country an estimated 50 million rand. Justice Minister Mr Jimmy Kruger has appealed to blacks to accept the whites' good faith and told whites that the responsibility for good race relations rests with everyone. Soweto will take long to recover. Hector
0: Peterson could have been 50, 52 this year. Could have been a father to some kids. I I, I look at Antoinette, who is the sister, you know? And Antoinette would have been having a brother. I mean, I talk about Nbuyeza Makubu. Would have been whole. Would have not been the lost person that is not known where he is today. I was with the son of Mbuisa Makubu. I feel like I've taken his father away from him. And these are things that, you know, I'm still with my family. One thing that I regret, and I believe I still regret even today, is having to Lead children and students out of the classroom to be killed by their own fathers.
2: As student leader Seth Mazabuko explains, June 16 forever changed the course of the country and the lives of many that were involved in it. None more so than Mbuyisa Makubu. He
4: looked very um, unhappy. Since that he was a very changed man, he was said she was not okay.
2: Mbuiisa my brother.
4: When my mother married my stepfather, I was already around.
2: <laughs> it's a freezing winter's day when I visit Mbuiisa's older sister, Ntiki, who lives in what used to be her grandmother's home in Pufolo Street in Orlando West. It's not far from Winnie Mandela's Soweto house. The power is out. It's drizzling. That relentless, persistent drizzle that settles in on the high felt and refuses to budge. Siki's in her slippers and wrapped up in her blanket. Here in this house, she and her brother Mbuisa lived with their grandmother in the June of 1976.
4: He never gave me the idea that he was going to be actually active. And I don't think he was, because when everything happened, I was busy cleaning my grandmother's house and making my grandmother lots and lots of, of of tea.
2: Although their father was politically active and even went into exile, neither Nsiki or Mbuiisa were directly involved in the march. In fact, on that day, Nsiki went shopping in Joburg with her mom. It was only when they returned on the train in the afternoon that they realized the extent of what had happened.
4: When we came through here, we just saw... The black clouds. So it was burning. Then my mother said, ah, ah, it doesn't look like this went well in Siki. There was noise, there was this flame, I mean, not flame, smoke. We came through to Pumlong, it was becoming worse. We got through to, to Perfene Station. So at Perfene Station there was a kiosk that sold newspapers. When we got off, my mother bought a paper. I think it was the world at the time. Boom, on the first page, there is Mboisa. With a bleeding young man. My just said, opened and said, ah, 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 this is my son. What the hell went on here? Before we even followed that sentence, people are coming through. Hey, 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 they knew my mama was a mom because we stay here and Neptune were also known by the people that you grew up with. Then they came and said, hey, your son picked up this young boy. This young boy died when he reached the clinic, and we learned that Musa was also shot when he left the clinic. is also dead. And her mother says, Guys, stop. Let me go to my house. So that I can make up my mind what's really going on. I, I can't take it now. She followed the paper, dropped it in her bed, then he went down.
2: And Tiki left her mom at her house and then returned to her grandmother's home. So he got home. The neighbors
4: were there. She started reading the paper. Some people came with different stories. Then I said, you know what? I'm going home to see what's going to happen. I left my mother there and I came down here because I stayed here. just went to drop her parcels and I walked down. So I said, walk, like 10, 15 minutes walk. Then I came back when I came back here. My grandmother is there and say, Mama, tell me what's happening because it's just in the paper and we're hearing so many stories. My grandmother said, first off, bush has arrived. He just left, he top all those blood-stained clothes washed again pew is out again
2: yeah and where did he go?
4: we don't know but we later learned that he went to my mum's to tell her that he's alive and I don't know and
2: did he see your mum?
4: same day yes same afternoon he saw your mum? yeah just to leave her because she knew that people were already saying that he's also dead
2: and then after he spoke to your mom, where did he go?
4: well later on in the day he came back home we had our supper and I just saw from a father that I'm not gonna bother him
2: and did you talk about it
4: nope I, I could see that he was not okay so I didn't I just went to the to the mount, to the to the hill up here and looked around like I was in, <laughs> inspecting stuff when I got up here there was a yellow van there is called mellow yellow and a, a a bus burning and some young stars were throwing stones and saying, power, power. And I just said that to just get the sense of it all.
2: Mbui life was never the same again. He was hunted by the police and also by the media. It's,
4: either, uh, it's the police that come or the journalists. There, there was this everyday thing that come three times a day. So at the time, he, could, he didn't know who to trust. He never spoke to the journalists. And the cops never found him. There are days when it would come in the morning, in the wee hours of the morning, around 2 a.m., 3 a.m., because you know these guys, the special branch guys, come out those uh, hours hoping that they'll find you asleep. So he says he used to sit up there and watch all the cars that come in and go out. When he thinks that it's safer now, it's a bit quiet, he should come down, then come home and sleep. He, and Musa was, was really suffered after that. He never had a normal life again. I think that's why I decided to leave in August.
2: In August of 1976, he finally decided that enough was enough.
4: He confided in me that he will be leaving soon. Arrangements are being made, he's going to leave. But I mustn't tell the, my grandmother and my mom. They are sick, they are old people, they are going to be stressed out. And then when the days came, he went to my mum and told her that was going to Devon. There was a group here, I forgot their name. There was a musical group that was staying next street. They were going to have a festival in Deben. And then he said he was leaving with them to Deben. As my mother would say, if you could look at the documentary, he said, because mother has even instigated, he felt like Mbuisa wasn't telling you the truth. And then he sat him down and said, talk to me. No, no, no. He he, he spoke to her, came down here. And my mother, after he left, said, no. He's not going to any festival, he's going away for keeps. She followed, came here, found him, and said, My boy, sit down, let's talk. I'm your mom. Remember, I've been on this path with your father. I know stuff and I can fit stuff. Be honest with me. You need to. Then he told her that he's leaving.
2: And Siki knew it was the right decision for him.
4: As sad as I was, I felt as if it would be better for him to leave, it was because. The way he lived, it was not okay at all for me, no. He wasn't eating well. He wasn't sleeping well. Sometimes he slept one hour. He was miserable. That bouncing whistle cracked dogs and made riddles and did this and that was gone. So I'd rather he was away than me watching him suffer every day and not being able to do anything to make it better. For me, it was okay.
2: And so, two months after the Soweto uprisings had begun, Mbuyisa Makubu, the man central to that iconic picture, readied himself to flee the country and the fame he had neither asked for nor wanted. Heavy with dread, his sister packed his bag for him, and in her heart she knew she could be packing for forever.
4: I packed oh my god I'll never forget that packing. I packed his um, clothes the night before he left. And I kept on asking if I can put this, I can put that inside A. You can't be putting things like this as if I'm just going to have a nice journey, get into your basket. I am running away. Just pack the banners, as I said, but a man needs a little, small towel. I forced him to take a little, a small... It was a hand-towelish like. Then a man needs a towel. (laughs) Please, just take that. Um, It was the saddest picking I've ever done. Did you
2: know that it was forever?
4: Forever? Not really. I knew that it could be forever, or maybe like it happened, eventually some people came back.
2: This is Through the Cracks, the untold story of Mbuisa Makubu. I'm Mandy Wiener, and this is an Eyewitness News production. Research by Zianda Ngobo and Krista Abus. Sound production by Peter Tiron. To see supporting documents, maps, timelines, archive footage and video interviews, go to ewn.co.za.